Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. G'day everyone and welcome back in. Today I have scientist, nutritionist Matty Lansdowne to guest. Uh, Matty's going to be talking about uh, food, nutrition, uh, we get into emotional eating and addictive behaviours and how to change these. Uh, absolutely fascinating conversation. I hope you do enjoy it. I certainly got benefit out of it. It's something that I struggle with personally. So <laughs> really interesting conversation with Maddie. Before we head over to the show, um, please make sure you check out our website, lisatarmity.com, and see all the programs that we do. We have epigenetics where we look at your genes and how your genes are expressing and how to optimise your environment to those genes. We we also do DNA testing, which is a slightly different program, also on the gene front that goes more into the details about things like methylation, hormone pathways, uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, your risk factors, etc. Really interesting programs. Both have different um, focuses. Uh, if you want to find out more, you can always uh, book a, a consult with me or book a 15-minute uh, call for me to explain those to you. I'd love to do that. We also have Running Hot Coaching where we train our athletes who are wanting to uh, tackle big goals. So make sure you check out runninghotcoaching.com as well as our anti-aging and longevity supplements. You can find out all about that at lisatarmity.com hit the shop and the, uh, you'll find our anti-aging and uh, longevity supplements there. Right, over to the show now with Matty Lansdowne. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have a wonderful gentleman who's going to share some incredible knowledge with you guys. Matty Lansdowne, welcome to the show. Fantastic to have you here. Hey, Lisa, how are you? I'm very, very good. We're about to see you sitting at the moment. And what, what town are you in? Or I'm city? in Melbourne, Australia, and it's uh, 6.39 in the morning. Ah, nice. <laughs> very, very early. So thank, thank you for getting up so early for this podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, Maddie, you are a nutritionist. You're a scientist. You've got a very interesting background. Can you just give us a, a quick synopsis of, of who, who Maddie is for those who don't know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I've got a background in medical science. So, um, I worked in I worked in a few different industries before I worked in a cancer hospital. So, I, originally, I worked um, as a vaccine formulation scientist very briefly. Um, I then moved into a company that does nutritional epigenetics, which is where I did my honours. Um, and then from there, I moved into working in the cancer hospital. So, um, it's a bit of bit of diverse. Went from working with elite athletes in the nutritional epigenetics company um, across to obviously working with cancer patients um, for the next seven years after that. Um, and then in the last couple of years, um, I've worked as a nutritionist. Um, so, um, and, and an emotional eating coach. And that's kind of where I sit now is sort of really working with, with women, particularly um, on the psychology of behavior change in regards to eating healthy. Because everybody that I sort of talked to, I started off as a nutritionist, just educating everyone on food. And then I was like, everybody already knows what good food is. <laughs> and, and the real question is, oh, I know what to eat. Why don't I do it? So yeah. I, I work on that behavior change psychology, which often involves learning boundaries, self-care, self-love, all of that kind of stuff in order to be able to actually move towards eating the healthy food. 
Oh man, um, and this is just such a, a something we haven't ever touched on in this podcast. We've done a lot on on nutrition and different diets and different mm-hmm. approaches and genetics. We're you know all over that, uh, but this is one, and this is one that I've struggled with personally. You know, um, mm-hmm. I have a backstory as being a young girl um, as a gymnast, um, and it's a very brutal sport for yeah. a young woman going through puberty um, and put through hell basically. Um, with, you know, too big, too fat, too heavy, you know, when you're just a perfectly normal, healthy, growing child. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so that's that led to a lot of problems later on. And it's still, like, to this day, like, I know what everything there is to know about, you know, nutrition and food, but it's still a daily battle. So maybe yeah. you can help uh, with some of my issues because, and I know so many people out there uh, know what they want to do every day. We're like, right, we're going to do mm-hmm. it this way today. And then we don't do it or we do it for half the time and not the other half the time. So uh, yeah. I'm, and I'm really also interested in your whole cancer story and, and, and working with that. And, um, Obesity is epidemic. Our society mm-hmm. is in terrible shape. Um, the food pyramid that is promoted by the government, what's your take on that? It's slightly different in Australia, but basically the same. Yeah, I think p- potentially similar to your view. I'm not too sure. But um, unfortunately, the original food pyramid was based on flawed science. And we know that by Ansel Keys. So Ansel Keys was a fat researcher. Um, in the late 50s, did some research that said that, um, you know, heart disease or atherosclerosis and um, fat or cholesterol and that type of thing were re- linked, they were related. And then all the research that was done beyond that moment was basically forced to prove that. Um, and if it w- didn't prove that, it was ignored. And then there was a pile of research that did confirm that, um, which led to the yeah 1977 creation of the first food pyramid being that stay away from fat, basically. So, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the food pyramid. The other thing is, like, I think, you know, there's a there's a few other reasons. It's not just that reason, but there's a few other reasons. Because if we, like, coming out of World War II, there was, you know, lots of countries that needed to feed their people with fast yeah. calories. And so, yeah. the things that were planted were fast-growing crops, which are often, re- you know, carbohydrates, wheat, that type of thing. Um, and so, I think it's a combination of, like, there was some dodgy research and also, there was all of these farms that were that existed coming out of World War II that needed to be included in the economy, um, and so it was an easy grab to to be like, "Oh, great! This research matches all this farming we've got. Perfect, let's go." Um, and so, you know, I acknowledge that it's not an easy easy ship to turn around, as we're learning now, because the. I still think the guidelines are terrible. <laughs> terrible. Um, but yeah, heavily dominated by carbohydrates, which is the least most important macronutrient. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is yeah, this is what I've come to to uh, believe as well. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's very much driven too by uh, the food industry. You know, it's a very yeah. big, powerful beast and mm-hmm. it's a bit like the pharmaceutical industry. There's a lot oh, of big money agus. to be made. Yeah. Yeah, big ag is monstrous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and so this is influencing what's being promoted to to us. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, wheat bix and NutriGrain and Co. Um, It's all healthy for you. It's like, (laughs) well, well, the interesting thing you mentioned the pharmaceutical companies is that the pharmaceutical companies, interestingly, also make most of the world's pesticides and herbicides. So they kind of control the ag industry too. Oh my gosh! I'd see. I didn't know that. Really, and then. So they're the ones doing all the glyphosate and all of that sort of stuff as well. 
Yep. Huh? Brilliant. Nice. Yeah, nice. It's actually, so Monsanto, who made glyphosate, became uh, Bayer and Bayer. Yep. Um, and they rebranded because they started being sued and lots yeah. of people started referring to Monsanto and podcasts and stuff like that. But if you look on um, random packaging in the chemist or the pharmacist, you'll see the logo, the Bayer and Bayer logo in the yeah. chemist as well. So that they, yeah. So they make the, the glyphosate and they also make many, many pharmaceuticals. Oh, brilliant. That's a good business model, way. Eh? Destroy people's Absolutely. health and then, and then sell them a pill and, and fix them. them. <laughs> oh. oh, man. And, and you know, and this is why we do these podcasts to try to sort of help people sort of understand this. Yeah. <laughs> because this is not obvious, right? It's just not. It's And it's what we've grown up with and this, the, the fat sort of uh, paradigm that the fat was bad for us and yeah. carbs were great. And so you get all this low fat yogurts and, and stuff mm-hmm. that are full of sugar. So they replaced the fat with the sugar. Um, yep. and, and then we've got bad fats. We've got all the industrial fats and things that, you know, the safflowers and cornflowers, you know, all of that um, yep. sort of stuff. So where do you sit? I mean, I know you've interviewed a lot of people from different beliefs and systems, and I think mm-hmm. everyone has valued information to, to bring to the argument, right from vegan through to carnivore, through to keto, through to mm-hmm. paleo, through to whatever. Yeah. Um, where do you sit on the on the scale of things, and how do you approach it when you're working with somebody? In regard, Do you mean in regards to like what kind of nutrition I would advise? Yes. Yeah. So I think for me as a, so I'm a biologist, I'm a molecular biologist and I naturally default to evolution, basically like what got us the first 10,000, hundred thousand years. And basically what got us that far hasn't really changed much in that time. It only changed a lot in the last 100, 150 years. Uh, and that's where we've seen this absolute pro- proliferation of disease, um, of child behavioral issues, which, you know, every generation seems to have more autism and more ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and we've got all these diseases as well that were once adult onset de- diseases that some babies are now even born with, which is yeah. just, you know, it's terrifying. And so, to me, I always default to, to history and, and historically in tribes and communities, hunting was a, a big feature of that and i think low car- naturally a low carbohydrate diet is what humans were designed to eat it and i think it's important too because some people you know they depending on who you've listened to on the internet you've got a different understanding of what low carb is yeah so i like everyone to just know that like what, what, when I refer to keto or low carb, it's potentially different to what you know it as because every single woman that I work with eats carbohydrates. Like it's, it's a part of the meal. I think when people hear carbs, they think, um, croissants, crumpets, yes. bread. Biscuits. Yeah. Biscuits. When I, when I say carbohydrates, I mean whole real vegetables, basically. So, so yeah, I think we should include, um, carbohydrates every single day, basically, but. Yeah, low carbohydrate design around the meal um, with a, f- a focus on protein. Protein's the most important macronutrient. Um, you know, that's why carnivore works, basically. It's it's very heavy in protein and and, and fat. Um, and I think keto is great, especially for things like disease states, mm-hmm. behavioral issues. It's a really good for kids that have got behavioral issues as well. They've used it for epilepsy for about a century now. So, yeah, I think it's gen- generally around that template. However, if I'm working with someone uh, and it's not working, we would try something else, you know, um, because it's about finding what's right for that individual and remembering too that even though humans in their natural state thrive on that, 
most humans that I work with have been through 50 years of hell. You yeah, know, exactly. With their, their, with their metabolism and their hormones and, and, you know, like the big push for, for women to compete with men in yes. every realm of life as well as be the mum, you know, and, and, and I support all of that, but it does come at a hormonal cost, unfortunately. <laughs> like the body has to, you know, it's like the body keeps score, that book. Um, the body pays a price. And don't think it doesn't for men. There's, there's plenty of overweight men that have got no testosterone and, and, and that type of thing. So, it's all of us that need to take a break and have a breather. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's important to remember that whilst, you know, you might listen to a podcast and hear anyone say vegans, the ideal diet or low carb, you've got to remember your body has probably been through all sorts of crap for the last, <laughs> you know, half a century that it, that isn't natural, right? And put it into a state that it's not meant to be in. So, we need to figure out strategically how to get out of that place. Um, so, the... The fact that I want to bring out there is is uh, the genetic piece of the puzzle because we're both into mm-hmm. genetics and epigenetics by the sounds of it. Um, I'm very much into like tailoring things to the person and their mm-hmm. gen- genetics to the yes. best of the ability that we have right now with the with the knowledge that we have right now, which isn't perfect mm-hmm. and it's growing all the time. Yeah. Um, but also taking into account, like you said, all their back history and what they've done to their body previously. And, uh, you know, as women, I think, and you know, I'm I'm one of these like super hard charging, do everything, hundred thousand things going on, and I want to push my body at the gym, and I want to go hard running, and I'm and I'm, <laughs> and I'm running, you know, multiple companies, and I'm looking after mum, and I'm you know like this is the typical life of of a woman. I don't have children. Most people have children in the mix as well. Yeah, I don't um, know how they do it. <laughs> so I don't either. <laughs> and, and this leads to a state of being in this constant fight or flight state. So yeah. where the amygdala is constantly on because where is the next emergency about to happen? Like mm-hmm. mum choking in the background while you're doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> And so you're constantly in the state of hypervigilance and yeah. you're in the state of hyped upness. And, you know, we get addicted to this too because it's dopamine. I'm getting my dopamine hits. I'm achieving. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And But at the end of the day, some days, you know, and I'll speak from personal experience right now, you know, I'm just like, what the hell just happened? You know, like, what <laughs> have I just done in this day and where did I get to? Um, you know, and you get to the other end of the day completely exhausted and you haven't put back Back in to your own body, and I do try. I do try to get in the hyperbaric and do my saunas and things. But again, that can be a stress as well, right? I was, like, I was just about to say that. Yeah, like ticking it can, boxes, yeah, ticking boxes off the list. And the, and I think you know, if there's one thing that's in that's in common with all women I've ever worked with is that yeah, that fight or flight stress management has not been present for decades, like literally decades. And so then that affects your metabolism. Your body is in a constant state of well, we. We don't need to digest or utilize this food. Just put it in fat stores because there's an emergency that never ends, you know. Um, and so, and then we get to a stage where, you know, people are like, I need to fix my weight issue or I need to fix my thyroid issue or my gut health issues. And then they sign up to a 28 day program and they're like, Oh, I did this 28 day program, didn't work. Oh, yeah. Like, or I lost five pounds and put back 10. Yeah. I always tell, tell people to think of it as a mountain and wherever you're at, wherever you're at right now, you're on top of the mountain. So, however, I often say when people say, I want to lose 20 kilos, I say, How long did it take that 20 kilos to appear? And it's like, Oh, like 18 years, I think, or, you know, whatever it is. And then I'm like, so you're trying to solve that same problem in like eight weeks. <laughs> yeah. But that's like you're putting your body through hell to do that. And it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to 
cause other problems and this yes. is like you know when you detox when you do lose weight then all the toxins come out and that creates mm-hmm. so you want to be preparing so what you what i like about your approach there is that it's a long-term view on yes. things right it's a it's a it took us a long time to get here it's going to take us a while to untangle this mess and it's not the quick magic bullet i just did a video on my youtube channel about why magic bullets don't work <laughs> <laughs> and we have this microwave mentality i call it you know where we want everything instantly. Yeah. And we want it now. We want it, you know, we want to see results. If I take a supplement today, why am I not better tomorrow? You know? Yeah. And this I is think what's that, wrong, I think. You know, I think that dopamine approach. that you mentioned before is a big part of that. Like, um, and and just letting even introducing to the pe- the people to the idea that they are dopamine addicted, because Facebook has are literally levels and levels of psychological engineers in Silicon Valley that are designing Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp to be more addictive, to speak to your craving, your deep, you know, inner reptilian brain craving for dopamine. And that's just one social media company. They're all doing it. And all food companies have been doing it since the 80s. Actually, one of the guests I've had on my show used to be um, a psychologist that worked for big sugar companies in the early 90s. Um, And he was paid so much money. He told me about his lifestyle back then. He was like basically treated like a rock star by these companies because he was the guy that suggested for one of the big sugar companies out there to get um, the rainbow colors to stimulate like really bright colored fruit in nature. So, it would trigger our... Ironically, now he's a binge eating psychologist um, <laughs> because in the process, he got so much free sugar, he got super overweight himself um, and addicted. So, like, it's important to acknowledge for everyone, like, you know, this world of capitalist, you know, sort of growth in social media and um, food is actually geared to hijack your brain. Netflix is included in that. Porn is massive in that that type of thing. And so, I think once people realize like, oh, like... I'm kind of being controlled by all of this mm. stuff outside of me and I didn't even realize that's mm. kind of step one of being able to take back control. That is just absolute gold, Maddie. <clears throat> I think that's because it and we, we're doing it like we are surrounded, you know, and we tend to trust the authorities, right? We tend to trust yeah. because that's what we've been trained to do. And I'm not saying, you know, go and <laughs> disregard all authority and break <laughs> laws. But what I am saying is like put a filter on. When you're told to do something by some authority, go and do your mm-hmm. own research for a starters, if you can, if you if it's something that's, you know, major to your health. Well, well the or, other thing is, you know? too, that um, like some of those companies are so big that when you talk about like authority in the law is that in order to be able to, to sue them or challenge them, you know, nobody can afford to do yeah. it. Like no. and governments don't don't keep them in line because they produce so much money for the economy. Mm. So it's kind of a conundrum, you know. Oh, it is, and it's just yeah, it's pervasive around in so many different areas of society. And probably you and I are not going to fix that problem, but what we can do is make people aware so that they can start to make their own choices with their own brain because we are being manipulated, and we need to sort of control how much we let ourselves be manipulated and how much. And you know, people listening to this sort of podcast are pretty people that are onto it and want to know what the latest in research and science and information is, and they're pretty, mm-hmm. you know onto it but 
Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy Pushing the Limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month New Zealand or $15 a month if you really want to support us so we we are grateful if you do there are so many members benefits you're going to get if you join us everything from workbooks for all the podcasts the strength guide for runners uh, the power to vote on future episodes uh, webinars that we're going to be holding all of my documentaries and much much more so check out all the details patron.lisatarmaty.com and thanks very much for joining us um so if, if someone's sitting out there and they're maybe a lady in their 40s, got three children, got, you know, stresses, financial stresses, businesses to run, companies or, or executive lifestyle or whatever, and they're overweight and they're going through menopause and they are um, just put on 20 kilos in the last couple of years. Yep. Where do you start with someone like that from the emotional side, someone that's addicted to sugar? Mm-hmm someone that is always giving to somebody else and mm-hmm. never putting back into their own bucket, where do you start to help them unwind all that emotional side of that? Yeah, that's a good question. Big, big um, question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I literally do that every single day. And I, I ha- I've just started one of my new um, programs, which sort of we all, we all start on a specific date. And so this week is all about sitting down with all of them one-on-one and planning out and understanding the past and planning out the future. And that's where we start is we collect data on your past or your current lifestyle. Because I think what we're used to is that on when you start something new, you only look forward. Um, and the problem with that when it's your body and your your health is that if the reason that you're in the current state of health that, that you're in is because what you've been doing has been working. And what I mean by working is keeping you safe, secure, and certain that you won't die, which sounds pretty extreme. But the way that our inner reptilian brain works is that it's always scanning the environment to make sure that we're safe, we're not going to die, we're protecting ourselves. And so, it, and it works on the, the idea that the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Even if intellectually you can be like, oh, I get that eating you know, healthy food is probably better. This has been working for me up until now. So we need to reflect on the past and understand why is this working for you? And if it's sugar addiction, like we often find that many people when they were younger were in families where you know there was like six kids or eight kids or something. And actually food wasn't super abundant. Right. And that when they got a particular type of food that made them feel good, then like they got basically emotionally attached to that food as they get older and have, you know, a job and the resources to buy it all the time. And they're just like, oh, it's just a habit. But then we dig into it and it's like, oh, it's actually security of your seven year old self. Wow. Yeah. And so that's one example. Another example might be um, the fact that basically you use it as a coping mechanism for stress. So many of the women I work with drink wine every single night um, and and probably a, sh- a surprising or a shocking amount of women 
do actually do that. And I know, only know that because I have so many conversations one-on-one, but it's not something that they share with one another because they're ashamed, right? Yeah. They're disappointed and ashamed that this is a pattern. And so, um, a lot of the people that come through my programs, we end up uncovering the fact that what the evening wine is is a thing that they really want to stop. Again, it's serving a purpose if you can't let go of it. So, we have to understand what is that purpose. And once we understand what that purpose is, which is going to be different for everyone, it could be, you know, sort of a surface level thing that we can shift easily. It might be a really deep past thing. Like a lot of people, I, when I say, how long has this been a problem? You know, before we start working together, it's like they say, oh, about five years. And I say, what happened five years ago? Um, and then the answer might be divorce, mum died, um, yes. you know, problems with the kids, I had to lost my job, and, and we can find a root cause, and then we can see like pain point, and then management tool came in, and and the the lowest barrier to entry management tool, which is like mm-hmm. walk five minutes to the bottle. Of, do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, because again, that dopamine pathway wants comfort as fast as possible. Yep. Um, and so once we've identified all of those things, and for many people, there can be 10, 20, 30 of those things we pick out um, over time, we then need to say, okay, the trigger is always going to happen. It'll lose power over time. But I think a lot of fad diets just say, use willpower and be strong. Mm, you know, Willpower doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, because triggers are still going to happen in your life. Like you can't just pretend like there's not going to be difficult uh, moments that pop up. So we have to be aware of what all of our triggers are. And then the routine uh, is like the middle bit of the, the habit, which is like maybe drinking the wine. And our body is always seeking that dopamine outcome. So for me, I don't say, don't do it, be strong. I say, all right, the first few times through, keep doing what you're doing, observe the process, understand where each of the the parts are, the anatomy of that habit. And then the first time through, we're going to stop it, you know, right in the middle. Um, and, and as you get more awareness, you'll be start being like, you'll, you'll open the bottle of wine and you'll be like, oh shit, I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. It's happening. Um, and then the next time you, you know, next few times you do it, you'll be able to catch yourself at the trigger before you even get to the wine. And then in, in that space where the wine exists, we have to put alternatives. Yeah. We, ca- we can't just leave an empty space an empty because, space. yeah, because if we do, we will find a way to fill it and it'll be just, you know, willpower and then do the same thing again a few hours later. Um, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Chocolate, um, unhelpful behaviors. So we have to find, and I call it the routine swap out list as we, develop a a list and it's quite long of all these possible alternatives. Sometimes we might need to do two or three so that we feel enough of that emotional outcome that our body was seeking in response to that stress um, so that we can get to the other side and be like, oh, I feel okay. I was triggered. My body still got the outcome, but the routine in the middle that I used to get here was actually something that is in my favor. So, oh, Jesus, my mind's blown on that actually because, you know, like this is, this is actually getting to the, because every diet in the world, we can, we can discuss all the perfect diets in the whole world and we all yeah. know to take out this and do that, but mm-hmm. it comes down to the implementation of that and the avoidance of the wrong things. And yeah. daily, 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 you know, I think 99% of us sitting out there will be going, yep, that's me, you know, that's me in this way or that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to varying degrees, um, and you know, it's is it, a genetic component too. Like if you put in the fact that, so like for me, I know my own genetics, so let's just share those. I don't have enough dopamine receptors, right? So mm-hmm. that, and I have too much adrenaline, so or a lot of adrenaline in my body. So I need to move because I have a lot of stress hormones. So I need movement mm-hmm. all day, and then I also 
uh, have a tendency to chase after massive goals. So what did I do? Ultra marathon running yet? And what is logical, you know? <laughs> Which is uh, uh, the typical addictive personality type, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have enough dopamine, so I'm constantly chasing something. In my world, yeah. it was running, and it was uh, work, and it mm-hmm. was achievement, um, and it, you know, luckily didn't go down the 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 drugs, alcohol, but very very easily could have. And still, mm-hmm. I need to be aware of that that. That, that uh, thing at play. And so my managing uh, way to manage that now, I used to be very get very angry very fast. I still do because I have a lot of adrenaline. So that can make you very uh, expressive, very uh, talkative. Surprise, yep. surprise, I'm doing a podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I need to run a lot <laughs> yeah. or move a lot. Um, so I use different coping strategies throughout the day to manage my personality traits, if you like, in the way mm-hmm. that I think. And I don't always do it perfectly, obviously. Um, but that's an example of how I've swapped out something for something else. Yeah, um, it, but it did lead to a, uh, an addiction to exercise, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had its own issues to deal with. Um, so there's always, so how do you get them to swap them out for something? How does the person get the dopamine hit without doing the thing that, you know, the, the, the wine or the chocolate or the running or the whatever the case may be? What is the, how do you find something that's a healthy alternative for that space? That's a good question. So my, my rule for creating your um, sort of routine swap out list is mostly non-food options. So we need to start learning how to produce dopamine again, which was totally natural, you know, for thousands and thousands of years. We got dopamine from hunting, from connecting with our community and our tribe, from doing all sorts of different things. And so the main aim is that like 90 to 95% of that list of like um, routine swap outs that produce the dopamine hit are non-food related items. So there'll be breath work, there'll be med- little meditations, there'll be, um, you know, just different different ways to engage your body. It might, like for me, for instance, because I, I had massive emotional eating issues and so does all the men in my family that have all had surgery on their guts because they ate or, and drank themselves to the point of, you know, ruining their bodies. Um, but I picked up on it at a young enough age to be able to do something about it. But the but the thing that drives that behavior is is like, always food related because again it's the lowest barrier to entry dopamine hit so we have to also find really quick ones like and this is why you might need to habit stack which is a, a phrase from um, james clear's atomic habits mm-hmm. book is that yeah sometimes it's like you might just say oh five push-ups you know right but sometimes it might be like that's that doesn't match wine <laughs> so it might be, you might need to do a bit of breath work a bit of um uh yeah a bit of push-ups a bit of whatever else you might need to hug someone that's a really big and useful one and that's like, a good one yeah oxytocin dopamine release so a, a hug is, is really good and often we're going towards these foods for comfort so if we, yeah. if we've, if we live with someone that can also supply comfort um that that has other payoffs of oxytocin but also um connection and you know and and calm in the home and that type of thing so 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 yeah, we need to start swapping them out. And it's important to acknowledge it won't feel identical, right? The point is we're trying to reduce the amount of willpower we need. So we're going to get all of these dopamine hits in this way. And there will probably be a deficit, right? But it's yeah. enough of a de- deficit that we can actually move past the moment and let go of um, you know the thing that we were initially craving. And many people get there after a bit of practice. It takes a few times to practice it and break that automatic cycle. Um, and they're just like, 
they feel this weird kind of like it didn't happen. <laughs> like I feel weird that it didn't happen, but I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the freedom that comes from knowing that yeah. you've broken through into a place of freedom, you know, because none of us like to be controlled by these biological drivers or whatever they are, yeah. the, the subconscious programming. I had um, Dr. Bruce Lipton on the show uh, recently. He's, you, you'll no doubt know, legend. Yes, I love that man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't he gorgeous? He is just wonderful. Um, and he, you know, he's a molecular biologist, um, and he's talking oh, about the, the stuff, the subconscious programming stuff. You yep. know, the stuff that we've downloaded in the first seven years of our life and then how yeah. much that controls the automatic pilot that's running. You know, like when you're driving along in the car and you're able to talk and sing a song and do things at the same time because it's all on automatic pilot, that driving, you can, you're yep. still safe, right? Because it's all in that subconscious programming because you've done it every day for, for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same sort of thing that we're doing. We're just automatically doing these things without examining why we're doing them. So this is what you're basically saying is going back in. Do you also work on the psychological aspects of the, or is that sort of outside of the realm that you work in, like the deeper emotional trauma that's tied up with a lot of this emotional eating stuff? Yeah, a lot of the part of it. Yeah, a lot of the process of reviewing the past brings up and identifies those traumas. So, it, it, depending on the dynamic, of like, you know, with one-on-one clients, we can go far deeper. Um, but yeah, a lot of people start to identify these things in their past that they're like, oh, it all began then. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or even like the belief systems. I've had, you know, people say that I had this moment of clarity where I realized the moment that my auntie or my mom or my dad gave me this belief about my body. Like, and, and they've gone back to that moment where it's like, oh my God, this thing that I've been repeating to myself or acting upon for you know, decades, it's not even mine, yeah. you know? Um, and they have these like real breakthrough emotional moments. Um, and, it can, and this can be for many women and, and men, but um, the women I work with, yeah, like tears are a part of the journey. Yeah. We're, we're, we're peeling an emotional onion and there's a reason onions make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just fabulous though to be able to start to uncover this. But there's, yeah. a, there's a difference between the emotion, uh, the intellectual, sorry, the intellectual, ah, that was when dad said to me this or did mm-hmm. that and then actually still breaking the power of that yeah. because you've done it for decades you know, past, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just like we're going through my childhood and going, yeah, there, there's a few things to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've all got them. <laughs> yeah, we've all got them. And we had wonderful, I had wonderful parents, but, you know, you still, they still, you still, you download your culture, you download yeah. belief systems in your, in your school and your peer group and your parents and, you know, all mm-hmm. of these aspects of it, you know, it's just, and it's just untangling this bloody big web and then trying to, you know, and, and a lot of people just go, oh, it's all too hard, Basket, Give me a pill. <laughs> oh, <laughs> totally. Well, and that's the same thinking they go towards the wine, the sugar, you know, the meat pies, the all of the foods that aren't very helpful um, for the body. That's They're, they're medicating. They're, like we, we say self-soothing, they're, they're medicating a pain, right? Yep. Um, a stress response, whether it be a physical pain, whether it be an emotional pain, whether it's a work pain, a relationship pain, it's all the same. They're medicating. And it's not weak, is it? Like, because I don't want to be weak. I'm strong and I'm not going to admit to that. (laughs) Oh, totally. Well, but that's why I like to, like, awareness is the first step 
we're, we're all dealing with it. Like everyone in 2022 is dealing with some kind of dopamine overdrive issue because of the, the way that social media um, and consumption of information is designed. And like going back to the talking about food companies, like um, Doritos, there's, there's even a thing called the Dorito effect, right? What they did with Doritos is every fifth chip, they salted um, five times as much um, because they found out that that triggers through research the gambling response when You're you go kidding. into when you go into a bag of Doritos, right? Um, and and again, pokies and, and gambling machines and the casino is designed as well to hijack your di- dopamine. So I think once everybody's aware that they're like, oh, I'm in a world that's designed to hook me, like that, you can start to actually put space between you and the stuff, you know. Oh, geez, that's so powerful. Even just to, to come to terms with that, um, and you know. We, we've got so much crap then available too. Like we, 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 I love that you went back to our evolutionary past because I'm a very big believer in that too, that, that the way we evolve both from our circadian rhythms and mm-hmm. you know, our monthly rhythms and all of these things need to be taken into, con- in, in, into our thought processes when we're trying to design the right lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm stuck in a computer right now and I'm doing this fantastic interview with you, which is super important. I'm sitting under a, a special light though that gets me at least some sunshine sort of effect on my eyes. It's not as good as being out so outdoors. Yeah. But I'm trying to at least mitigate and I wear my blue light blocking glasses at night time to, you know, because I'm on screens and I'm working mm-hmm. and I try to keep my circadian rhythms, you know, and, and do everything in that respect because I know that's how my body evolved from cavemen days, yeah. cavewoman days. And it's no, we, we haven't changed physiologically, but we've radically changed our environment. And we were just wondering why the hell have we got autism and ADHD and obesity and diabetes and Alzheimer's and cancers up the wazoo when we yeah. have the best, you know, access to the best drugs and the best medical professionals and the mm-hmm. best and we're the most sickest people we've ever been. Yeah, well, it's, I, I love that you said that because people often um, in the nutrition world expect that I'm going to tell them to count calories. And so, kind of my yeah, tagline is, is we, we don't count calories and we don't eat kale. Like, you can eat yeah. kale if you want, but my no. point, my, I'm, tr- I'm trying to break that, like, you've got to eat rabbit food kind of psychology. Um, and it. so, that's what I point out. I ask people, like, so the more apps, the more technology that exists to count calories, has the world gotten skinnier or more overweight. Yep. And yeah. because we haven't yeah. <laughs> addressed all the stuff that you're talking about. Exactly. And the addictive nature of the food that we're constantly exposed to. So that brings to another point. So I heard in one of your lectures say there's the uh, emotional eater and then, uh, you know, with sugar. And then there's the uh, person who's addicted to sugar, physically mm-hmm. addicted. I and mean, often that's both um, it, it rolled into one person. So what is the difference between someone who's addicted to to sugar and someone who's an emotional eater? <laughs> Yeah, someone that's addicted will be like biologically addicted. Um, and it, it's an interesting space because if you talk to the sugar addiction experts, um, they will see everybody as addicted. And if you talk to the emotional eating experts, they will see everyone as emotional eaters. So, it's it's still kind of a gray area. But in my mind, the emotional eaters um, are able to create more space between them and the thing and find more easily find alternatives. Um, and I think another way to split it up could be like um, abstainers and moderators. Like if you're someone that just cannot stop totally out of control and your behavior isn't, 
oh, I'm having an emotion. I'll respond to that emotion by eating. It's just like, you know, you're just smashing food, like you're doing anything to get your hands, like that real kind of addictive behavior or behavior we would associate with alcoholics or drug addicts. Um, then, you know, then we're really leaning in that addictive sort of realm uh, sort of thing, but there's still an emotional component and the same in the other direction because we're dealing with a substance that goes into our cells that our cells produces energy from. Um, so there's, you know, it's, it's always multi-layered and the same with drug addicts and alcoholics. They yep. have, they're, they're doing it for emotional reasons as well as the fact that their cells um, are, have become biologically addicted to the point where if you take it away from them immediately, they'll die. Their bodies will die. They've become so reliant um, on those things. So it, it is difficult to tell, um, but there's often um tests and quizzes and stuff you can do um, to identify, am I actually clinically addicted? But again, I, th- I still personally think it's a gray area because yep. a lot of those questions are about the yeah, frequency of consumption um, and like, yeah, so it's just, it's difficult to tell, but I, I would just identify the behavior. Am I at, totally out of control or does all of my consumption come in response to a, a situation? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, there's uh, the addiction side of sugar addiction, say, um, you can do something about that by, you know, this is where things like the keto diet and ketones and, and mm-hmm. things like this and fat and protein that actually satiate the body and stop this yo-yo yeah. effect that you get when you're, when you're having high sugar or high carbohydrate uh, meals all the time where you're, you're spiking your insulin and then, uh, your, your blood sugars and the insulin comes out and then it drops it and, and mm-hmm. so on. And this yo-yo effect that we're probably all, all aware of. And yeah. I've like, like, I used to be addicted to sugar and now not addicted to sugar, but still definitely have issues on the emotional side of of mm-hmm. of the eating um, stuff so uh, I think that's you know we can train ourselves out of that addiction by by replacing in this case with good fats and good proteins um, yeah. that really just satiate and stop that yo-yo and that only really takes a few weeks I think would you yeah. agree with that that so sometimes I think you know like uh, as I learn and stuff there's these phases of, of, of the changes in what you should be eating, you know, like going into a, just a low-carb, higher-fat, higher-protein diet for the first couple of weeks while you're getting your body out of this addiction sort of stage yeah. and then maybe going into a carnivore stage, you know, to optimize that you're getting your proteins up and you're, you're really in that build stage and then mm-hmm. maybe dropping and uh, changing, changing according to your hormones and according to who you are and what stage of life you're at, you know, in tweaking it from there so it's not a one size fits all but at the basis i think we'll probably all agree that you know processed food out bad vegetable oils out uh, excessive carbs out and i think also trying to understand where are these carbs coming from because a lot of people say to me i don't eat much carbs uh and then we just dive into what they're eating and it's like you know you want to have my porridge and i put bananas and some natural honey or maple syrup on it and i'm like oh yeah sugar 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 <laughs> and then i have my lentils for lunch uh, sugar uh <laughs> you know and they're like that that's not a carb and yeah it's a carb <laughs> it all breaks down the carbs <laughs> yeah yeah so what, what would you say to all of that um, yeah no no i totally agree and that's the reason that my the, the way that i guide people through in my program is the first half we do the psychology and the second half we do the nutrition because even if you do all the feeling stuff all the spirituality stuff and like 
you're still putting in the wrong food into your gut, programming your microbiome um, to crave a particular fuel source. Because I often refer to the the gut bugs as like our little crack addicts. It's like <laughs> they will crave whatever you give them first thing in the morning, right? Wow. And so if we don't actually change the eating, then we're, we're going to feel this battle come up in our body where it's like, oh, I know, I learned the mindset work and, and then I'm battling with my body. So if you don't do the nutritional component and haven't programmed the physical cells in your body, then you, yeah, you're going to have this battle. So I totally agree that you need to, yeah, this nutritional optimization with a focus on protein um, as the number one nutrient and that research studies show in insects, in different animals, in humans, that humans will eat until they get enough protein, which might explain wow. your, ov- your overeating of carbohydrates or anybody listening, you know, wow. like you, you, because the body fundamentally needs protein and it can create everything it needs from protein, right? It can rebuild fat molecules, can rebuild sugar molecules. And so in nature, we like when we hunted, we got proteins and fats, right? Um, and so if we just eat a carbohydrate diet, and this is why there's a lot of um, a big portion of overweight vegans and vegetarians is because mm. the body will go towards and crave. It's like when you, you're stuffed after a particular meal, maybe you've eaten you know fast food or something and you just you're stuffed, you feel gross and you still get go home and swing on the door of the fridge. It's because your body hasn't collected enough protein from the meal yet. So we will eat until we get enough protein. So yeah, if we don't deal with the, the physical nutritional programming of our microbiome um, and actually give it all the protein it needs in a, a healthy sized meal, um, then we're going to keep overeating and we're going to have this battle in our mind of like, oh, love yourself, you know, be good, <laughs> you know, but my body is hungry. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so you've got to keep you can't overwhelm your biology. This is why you yeah. have to learn to understand why your biology is doing what it's doing, why the bugs are doing what they're doing in your tummy and why yeah. they're causing these cravings and then how to replace the stuff. So it's not about starving yourself, eh? And it, it's very totally. definitely not. Because this is the, the the thing, you know, you get the, the, the OMAD people, the one meal a day, the keto, the extreme keto, the carnivore, the, you know, like all of these different types of things and you're like, oh, 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 oh. it's all like, you know, but actually if we just go back to some basics of, of, of and, and protein. Uh, I had Dr. David Minkoff on the podcast. He's written the book In Search of the Perfect Protein, um, and that was a fantastic eye-opener of you know, how important uh, proteins are. And yeah. um, I have a, one of his products, Perfect Aminos, which has really helped me get off the sugar addiction. Um, gotcha. And, and um, because it's a – it's 100% sort of or 99% utilizable as amino acids in the body within 20 minutes. So that's, you know, like we can use certain things like that to help us. Whereas if I go and have a whey protein shake, that's going to, a lot of it's going to turn to carbohydrates in the body, unfortunately. And even, you know, steaks and eggs and things have a a portion of it will turn into, uh, like I said, that can become carbs in the body. Um, But if we've got those protein amounts covered, we're not going to be having these big swings. Like I used to have massive hyperglycemic swings. And of course, being an endurance mm-hmm. athlete, I'm like, oh, I've got an excuse. I've got to run. i got to, you know, I've got to fuel this body because I'm training like mega. And um, my listeners have heard me say this before, but it really sort of came to a point when I ran through New Zealand and I was doing 2,250 Ks in 42 days, like wow. massive, like 70 kilometers a day, right? Mm-hmm. And I was burning through, you know, in excess of 10,000 calories a day uh, mm-hmm. as far as the energy output and I got fatter and I was not eating anywhere near 10,000 calories a day mm-hmm. uh, and it was hormonal and it was my body being a fight or flight and it was just yeah. 
complete nut. Oh my God, she's like in this emergency situation. So every gram we're going to hold. So initially I lost it and then I put on. This is what I found too with ultra marathons is that in the first two weeks after the ultra, I'd lose this weight and I'd be like, yay, I've lost this weight. And then within two weeks, I'd be fatter than I was before doing the massive ultra marathon, you know. And it was a, a partly the swing of like your body is so hungry then because it's yeah. so you just devour everything in, in sight after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you think you can get away with that because you've just run this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you just do this to the body. The body's like, whoa, you know. It's yeah, it's triggering massive. those preservation genetics. Yeah. Like it's, uh, and, and, you know, I started running way back then when I was that youngster at doing gymnastics because I was told I was fat and I had to lose weight. And how do you do that? Cardio, cardio, cardio. And yeah. that is not right either. <laughs> like 25 years later, I woke up from that one. Um, and then, uh, you know. <laughs> it's interesting you say that. I've worked with a bunch of women who like in the 90s or even late 80s um, were like fitness models, basically. Yeah. And yeah. they're in magazines and stuff like that. And they've showed me like, you know, this was me back in the day the most unhealthy I've ever been cycling between starving myself. And then as soon as the shoot was over, there was literally donuts on the set. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's the same with, uh, I've had got a lot of w- younger women that are like 30 in the thirties that have done sort of got caught up in that Instagram show body oh. comp- competition fad. That's yeah, been terrible. a big thing for the last 10 years. And they're like, it, it's ruined me. Like it's yeah. ruined me about, I just starve myself and then binge and, and everybody does that. Basically everyone talks about how we can't wait until, you know, after the competition and when we all go out and just yeah. binge on sugar. And it's just like, it's socially approved of, you know, yo-yo dieting, if you know what I mean, of like extreme fitness and body composition to the point of being unnatural where you'll only get these photos once a year yeah. uh, and then swinging back in the other direction of like just overeating. So, you know, it's, it's the same for a lot of industries as well, you know, like in the health and fitness world of that extreme one direction. I used to be um, a relatively elite level swimmer mm-hmm. um, and, you know, training 10 to 12, 12 times a week. And wow. a lot of a lot of the people that we used to train with, yeah, after, after swimming days were over, um, they became enormous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. And what you see in the magazines, people, like, I've, you know, I've been working with a young guy, recently wants to be you know big massive bulk you know young <laughs> and and eating like 500 grams of, of of carbohydrates a day and just massive whatever he can get in right because i got a bulk got a bulk and it's just like oh shit this is you know this is a recipe for disaster here and you know trying to yeah. uh, educate around this sort of stuff um but all they see is the magazine with the sexy guy on it, right? It's got yep. the, the ripped six pack, but they don't understand. And you know that's great that we you know we have these these goals to work towards, but they don't mm-hmm. understand that that guy isn't looking like that for ninety nine percent of the year. Yeah. He's doing that, and he's dehydrated to shit on yeah. that day of the photo shoot. He's been saunering for two bloody days straight. He hasn't drunk anything. He's extremely vulnerable and sick, and he's doing it for a specific purpose to, to get up on stage and be a bodybuilder or whatever the case mm-hmm. is, or a, or a shoot or whatever. But that's not your everyday look, right? But yeah, that's totally. the everyday thing that we're trying to achieve. And yeah, I just, saw a conversation. Oh. Oh, I saw a conversation between um, – Chris Hemsworth, The Rock, and um, Hugh, Hugh um, oh, what's his name? Jackman. Um, 
Yes, uh, New Jackman. Yeah, yeah. And they were all talking about how they basically hate food because they're like, in order to stay this big, like we have to eat so much. And they were wow. all like, yeah, I hate chicken. Chicken is the worst, but I eat about <laughs> three of them a day. Wow. Um, and, and they were talking about how on set, they've literally got a personal trainer there. They, they haven't had a drink in 24 hours sometimes. They're, they're smashing push-ups, doing like um, wow. bicep curls. And then they go, action, like yeah. in that moment. Like yeah. they're literally catching you at the most pumped you know pumped, yeah, yeah yeah which is not a natural state to be in right even for them you know yeah even yeah. for the biggest dudes on the planet yeah yeah and that and those guys don't you know like bodybuilders who have that growth thing on all the time where they're in that growth mm-hmm. um they're not doing the clean out they're not doing the autophagy and i think they're starting yeah. you know they're wising up now and they're starting to do phases with a you know getting rid of senescent cells and autophagy and all that sort of good stuff but generally mm-hmm. it's been and i've you know seen lots of um people that i've worked with that have gone and just grow 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 well you've got to have the cleaning up phase you've got to have the lean yeah. down phase you've got to get rid of those senescent cells so you, if you just turn on all your growth factors yeah willy-nilly then you you know cancer risk all of those things goes up immensely and you know for people who are uh, are obese um the cancer risk is just enormously higher yeah you know like it's not discussed really like that the number one you know carcinogenic thing you can do besides smoking is probably being obese That, that was the first thing that i realized in the hospital walking through the clinic every day i was like everybody is visibly overweight and i literally got to the point where i looked at the research and it was like yeah, obesity is the precursor to Alzheimer's, to diabetes, to cancer, and it's the number one precursor to chronic disease. And so I was like, that's why I went into nutrition. I was like, all right, let's help everyone lose weight. And then I realized, oh, everyone knows what to eat. Let's help everyone fix their brain. <laughs> I love that. And that's definitely a piece that I, yeah, that, that I'm now thinking is, is just absolutely crucial to the whole thing. And, you know, like with mum having cancer and, you know, go to the hospital and you're sitting next to all these other cancer patients and they're eating their cookies and their orange juice. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, is there a metabolic approach to cancer, anybody? Yeah. Nobody right. knows about it. Nobody. You know, know which, which is shocking because one of the hallmarks of cancer in all cancer yeah. textbooks is um, the Warburg effect. Warburg which, effect. Yeah. And nobody gives it any attention. Yeah. No, no. I've done like, you know, I don't know, 10 hours worth of lectures with world top cancer researchers. And this information is not to 90% of the cancer patients. And this is why our cancer patients now uh, is is help them with a metabolic approach to cancer. And that's only from going through the experience that I've gone through with mum. And I act like an investigative reporter and help them piece together a team of people to work with them. So I'm nice. not their doctor, but yeah. I help them understand these processes, these mechanisms of why you need to be blocking this and what's there. And, and then we need to put this doctor in the mix and that doctor in the mix or whatever yeah. the case yeah. is, you know, uh, and helping them through that pathway. Yeah. Uh, there's so much need for this type of stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, and this is absolutely. like what you, like you've come from a biology background and science background and you've ended up in nutrition and now you're running your own companies doing <laughs> it's like this isn't it but yeah really, totally when you work well, i think that's how you join the dots right is that yeah. like you know medicine in its 
true form is like symptom and drug. It's like singular problem, singular solution. And in order to understand that the body is holistic in nature and not in a woo-woo way, like stress is happens in the body, your thoughts happen in the body, the food happens in the body, you know, like it's it's all within this within the skin, basically. Um, you need to kind of go on this journey of like, oh, I understand how this works and it's connected to this bit and then it's connected to this bit. And then, you know, we end up like just like Bruce Lipton did, um, yes. you know, which is like it's all in the mind, which controls all of the way we respond to stress, food, relationships, you know, sleep, that type of thing. Oh, you're just gold. I, I just could talk to you for hours and, you know, I think um, I'd love to, yeah, have more exchanges with you and have you on again to go in, into a deeper dive. Um, Maddie, I know we have to wrap up. I've got clients coming mm-hmm. and you've got things to do. Um, where can people find you, your programs, what you do, uh, connect with you on socials and all of that sort of good stuff? Yeah, sure. So, um, just maddielandsdown.com. Um, you can check out uh, what I'm all about, the programs, that type of stuff. Um, I've also got a podcast called How to Not Get Sick and Die. Uh, so, come and, come and hang out there just on any podcast platform. And if you're a mother, like sort of 40 to 60 is who I usually help, but any age mums can come and hang out in our Facebook group, which is called the Busy Mums Collective. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Maddie, I'll put all those links in the show notes Mm -hmm. and I'm very, very grateful for your work and your research and and bringing this sort of, even to my mind, uh, new stuff. So that's been fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Lisa. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.